choice but to totally destroy North Korea. Hey everyone, this is your host Matthew Beers. Welcome to Forecast Roundtable. Today I'll be speaking with Derek Bisaccio regarding the coronavirus pandemic's effect on the Middle Eastern, African, and Eurasian defense markets. Thank you for having me on, Matthew. So, Derek, uh, the pandemic is obviously affecting the stock market. It's been crashing pretty much every day for a week. Uh, and it's not just the stock market, it's, it's the supply chain, it's manufacturers. Uh, governments around the world are, are going to have to spend billions, if not trillions of dollars to help sustain their economies. Uh, how is this going to affect defense spending in your areas? Okay, so definitely the reaction, how governments handle the coronavirus, uh, as far as what their fiscal spending plans are, is going to have a pretty significant impact on defense spending in a lot of the countries that I cover, mainly because a lot of these countries are energy producers. And so the way that their budgets are, are, are structured is they, they, they work on bringing in energy revenues, which will then fund uh, public spending. So as you've seen with the coronavirus, uh, economic activity has dropped, which means that demand for oil has dropped, which translates to less revenues for these countries. And right. many of them are all, have already been dealing with this circumstance for some time now. So a lot of their reserve assets that they would have had banked with their central bank from years of uh, oil prices being over $100 a barrel, they've had to dip into those for a while now since 2014, 2015. So they're running on fewer um, stabilizers, if you will. And they're going to have to start turning to, say, international financial institutions for help or other, uh, you know, other creditors and defense spending is going to probably be a casualty. We've already seen right. in, you know, in the Middle East, so if you take the Middle East in particular, we've already seen that spending has dipped. It peaked in 2014, 2015, that time frame, And since then, it's definitely fallen fairly, fairly significantly. It tracks pretty closely with Saudi Arabia's spending and one thing that's noteworthy about Saudi Arabia is even though their military is active in Yemen and all throughout last year, tension with Iran in particular was, was extremely high. There was all those tanker sabotages and you had a lot of missile and drone attacks. Uh, Saudi Arabia has been, been cutting its defense budget. And I, and I think we're going to see more of that, particularly if this coronavirus issue turns into a bigger global economic slowdown. Okay. And, and of course, if it turns into a bigger economic slowdown, and people are saying that we might get out of it pretty quick, and, and we, we see the defense spending going down maybe in, in the short term, in the next few months, um, do, do you see it uh, you know, possibly extending beyond that? Like, let's say we fix the, the coronavirus problem and okay. you know, people can go back to work and, and the, the, the economy starts rolling again. Um, do, does defense spending lag behind the economy in a general if it were to start recovering? In, 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 the, in the countries that I cover, so in the Middle East and Africa, the, the, big, the big question is going to be what are the other economic ramifications of the coronavirus? Let's say, right. you know, let's say so it's, it's mid-March as we're, as we're recording this. Let's say by the end of March, 
suddenly everything, you know, every, you know, they solve the coronavirus, it's all fixed, it's all good, that, you know, you, then you would see an economic recovery. But it's not looking like that's likely, at least from what I've heard, what government officials or what um, international institution officials are, are, you know, are saying is that this thing could continue for some time. And right. so it'll continue to be a drag on economic activity for, I, you know, I, I obviously this, you know, my area is defense trade, so I'm not specific economic um you know, growth outlook, but I, you know, I would think it's going to weigh on economic growth for at least the next few months. And so right. the question becomes is, a, a, you know, amid that environment, what does it do to commodity prices? And, you know, and I keep coming back to, to energy because my, yeah. you know, my biggest markets that I cover in these areas, if it's in, if it's Middle East, it's Saudi Arabia, it's the United Arab Emirates, or I also cover former Soviet Union. So obviously Russia is a big energy producer. And then in Africa, you've got countries like, like Algeria uh, in particular, or Nigeria. And uh, for, for these countries, the big question is going to be energy prices. A lot of them, when they yeah. made their 2020 budgets, um, a lot of that you know, being at the end of last year, the end of 2019, when they were creating their new budgets, they were pricing in oil at 50 to $60 a barrel. That was their expectation for 2020, because that's what the outlook was at that point. Right. And early March, by, you know, by this point in early March, the, the prices tanked to about $30 a barrel. If it stays there and there's a you know a good chance that it might, if it stays there, that's going to force a lot of these countries to change their spending plans definitely for 2020 and then maybe even for you know for, for subsequent years. I know at least in the in the global uh, economic commentary, a lot of analysts have been expecting a recession for some time. Obviously, there's always you know a doomsayer here or there that's going to say, "Well, the bull market's coming to an end." Now it is, and the it's, question it's here. Hey, yeah, we, we it, were right. You know, yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's here. And, you know, so the the there's a there's a concern about what other problems the coronavirus might touch off, and by by other problems, I mean. Are some of these countries in emerging markets that I cover, are these countries, do they have too high of debt loads? Are they going to have trouble repaying this? What is their ability to, I was, I was mentioning reserve assets earlier, what do these countries have in store that they can use to stabilize the economic conditions? So, Saudi Arabia is a good example of a country that has a rainy day fund. They yeah. dipped in their um, reserve assets after 2014, 2015. And I want, you know, and which, and so the reserves fell, I think over $200 billion or so, but they still have a couple hundred billion dollars left in there. So they've got plenty of firepower, but a lot of other countries aren't in that, uh, aren't in that position. And yeah. so might have to, might, might have to tinker with their budgets and, and, and Saudi Arabia is even tinkering with its budget, despite having all of that. Uh, I think today they just announced that they're going to have to revise their 2020 budget. I don't, right. I don't believe they've come out with the new figures yet, but I'm keeping a close eye on it with with them specifically and with other countries as, as well. And, and I imagine it'll come back uh, in, in line with as as people, consumers start leaving their homes and and, and traveling and using their vehicles and, and the, the businesses start running again and, and they're using more more fuel and and whatnot, then um, you know the the price of oil will you know kind of parallel with that start going right. up, right? That's that's the hope. Yeah, yeah, that's that that's certainly what they're what what's being banked on, and definitely, I mean, 
all of this recently, especially because it, because it originated in China and so resulted in a drop in economic activity in China. China is a huge consumer of energy. So with their demand dropping for it, that has caused um, a lot of the oil producers to, well, they looked, they looked to engage in more production cuts. So since 2014, yeah. 2015, OPEC's been doing a number of rounds of production cuts They've had only so much success, but they have brought or they did bring the the price of oil. They stabilized it around 50 to 60 bucks a barrel. And that's where it was at the start of all, the year. All that work and they then, did to try to break the U.S. oil market. And all they had to do is wait for a pandemic. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because it's we're getting another. Yeah, another another crack at that. But um, yeah. It, yeah. So so I, I think if if there is. As as some are hoping for, if there's a V-shaped recovery, right, then that is that that looks good as far as the medium-term outlook for right. for some for a lot of these these countries that I'm, that I'm covering that are energy producers, and those are the main ones that I'm keeping my eye on uh, because they're they're the ones that are most obviously affected. But and those think, are those are really the ones that if you're trying to do business in in the Middle East uh, with some of those countries that have the reserves and, and you're trying to, to make some bets and, and investments and, and what's, what's going to happen related to the coronavirus is you probably want to target those, those nations that have the reserves and that are going to be able to cushion that a little bit and right. recover well, those are, better. Those, are the, big, yeah, those, those yeah. are the big defense spenders as it, as it stands. And I think as it one, stands already, yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing that I'd like to point out with, with, with either with Saudi Arabia with Qatar, with the United Arab Emirates, is the collapse in energy prices that started midway through the previous decade, that definitely impacted their procurement, but it didn't impact it as severely as you might think. So even okay. though Saudi Arabia's defense budget has fallen a decent amount, they're still out, the, out in negotiating arms contracts, they're still buying fighter jets, Qatar in between the collapse of all this, uh, you know, these energy prices signed for dozens of fighter jets. And yeah. a lot of these militaries aren't just aren't just relegating it just to Air Force either. They're purchasing new warships. They're purchasing new armored vehicles, new tanks. And so you still have seen procurement remain strong amongst some of these bigger oil producers, you know, right. even amid all these economic headwinds. So I think okay. that's that's important is that for the for the countries that have these type of reserve assets, they're still able to ink uh, defense agreements. Now, the peculiarities of of the coronavirus or of a pandemic in general might might impact the signing of agreements in, in, in the short term because you're not right. holding as many you're not holding as many exhibitions. For example, the Qatar, Qatar has one that they hold called Dindex. It's the Doha International maritime defense exhibition and conference. And that's, you know, where they bring in all kinds of international um, producers and a lot of arms agreements yeah. get signed at these, at these defense expos. Uh, but that, but Dimdex has been postponed. A few others I, I know I've, around the world have been um, postponed and that uh, has an effect on negotiating or signing deals. You know, again, usually that's where they like to announce them because it's a nice, flashy, flashy showpiece to have for it. And so, not only are those being, you know, not only are those being postponed, but also a lot of the uh, bilateral working meetings that go that you know that occur in the build up to signing a contract. 
a lot of these aren't happening. You're not yeah. having in you know, military to military exchanges where if, if a country is interested in, say, a fighter jet where they've got their personnel either able to train on that fighter jet or at least, um, you know, be present in that country or bring whatever the system is to their own country to test it. A lot of that might not be going on. There's not as much data, especially with uh, the Middle East. They're very they lack transparency on, on, you know, on this issue. And so it's not, you know, it's hard to say how much of that is really going on right now and how much that's really affecting arms yeah. deals. But it's definitely a situation where this persists would would start to affect negotiations, at least for the short term. Now, arms contracts, you negotiate these over the span of years. So it's not, you know, this isn't critical, but it definitely will delay the signing of of, of some agreements. You know, it's uh, like, like I've been emailing you um I think this is a great opportunity in my mind, especially out there for, for countries like Saudi Arabia, like UAE, um, th- that have these reserves and are even despite the, the coronavirus are, are going to, they're going to still be um, purchasing things. They're still going to be mm-hmm. making deals. Right. Um, but there's going to be companies that maybe say, okay, well, we're leveraged the hilt. We have this debt. We can't do anything right now. Or maybe our supply chain is interrupted. Mm-hmm. And, and they can't follow through on on their contracts, or they have to postpone the signing of a contract. And if there there's companies that that maybe have a little bit of a leg up on, on others for whatever reason, um, you know, if they know who those competitors are, and they know that maybe there's a problem, even if they don't, you know, a savvy salesperson, savvy marketing people, they're going to be contacting these people in Saudi Arabia and the UAE and saying, hey, if you need this. And and these people can't follow through, right? I, you know, yeah, I see. Us. I see where you're getting at with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that it could that that a contract that that theoretically again, I don't you know I don't have any data on this, but 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 yeah, feasibly, especially if you if you look at the way that these countries procure. So so you might have a circumstance like that where because the supplier struggled to either fulfill a contract or because of, you know, negotiations took, took for, took a, took a long time or longer than was anticipated that another supplier could swoop in and, and, you know, and be a, be a better option. I don't, you know, as a, as I'm, I want to emphasize, I don't have evidence that that's happening, but it's certainly a possibility. If you look at how I think, I think I'll take Egypt as, as a good example. So if you look at how Egypt procures military systems or, or who they turn to, they've always been willing to purchase from anyone who can, well, anyone who can sell them you know, quality equipment, but they're not going to just buy, say, exclusively from the United States or exclusively from Russia. Or right. you know, recently they purchased a bunch of warships with from France, uh, but then negotiations uh, over, over subsequent buys broke down, relations broke down a little bit. And so they so instead of purchasing additional corvettes from France, e- Egypt turned around and, and, and said, OK, well, we're going to buy German frigates. And we're going to buy yeah. Italian frigates. And so it's you know it's not inf- infeasible that something like that could happen with the coronavirus. Again, I don't you know, I don't I don't know that that's happening. And I don't know if this if this circumstance will extend long enough where that might become a, a reality. We've at least at least publicly seen a lot of companies either defense related or not, a lot of companies have had their supply chains affected and a lot of companies have had um, you know, workers that they've, that they've had stay home. Obviously they're trying to not spread the, uh, 
uh, spread the disease, but it means that yeah. that also affects productivity. And so I don't see any reason why defense production would be isolated from this. I think it would be, you know, it would be subject to the same. Uh, well, for sure. I was actually well. wondering about that. Um, I, I know that there's companies in, in Europe that I've been in contact with, and, uh-huh. and it seems like they've just stopped operating, um, at least at the administrative level, yeah. uh, for a couple months, uh, right. which is which is right. a long time for, for people not to be working. I'm pretty sure that there's people on the ground, too, that are not going to be doing their jobs. So in, in terms of not the budget in, in, in the Middle East um, and your areas necessarily, but the actual military readiness and having those spare parts and, and having, you know, the, the missiles and, and the, the components that they need to keep their military ready. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that something that, so, uh, is going to happen? Okay. So, so let me draw, let me draw an example with this. So, so Saudi Arabia has been carrying out a military operation in Yemen. That's been very controversial among Saudi Arabia's arms suppliers in the West that has, it has resulted in, a number of countries, especially the small suppliers, saying, you know what, we don't want you know any role in this. We don't want our military systems to be involved in this. So we're going to stop selling uh, military equipment to Saudi Arabia or some of them have specified specifically, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to sell it for use in Yemen. We'll sell okay, them so they were already at, so, at yeah, a point so, like that. And, and so, so, so where I'm getting with this is so some of the big suppliers also considered this and the united kingdom i believe actually as it as it stands is not uh, the, the there's been a court order against supplying arms for the time being and they also were not supplying thanks to uh uh a, a circumstance where a lot of joint european projects were under under question because germany actually outright cut arms sales to saudi arabia so a lot of components and a lot of missiles and a lot of or, um, resupply uh, or replenishment of missiles were not being provided. Components were not being provided for things like fighter jets. So the, the Saudis were running into a circumstance where they can, for a certain time frame, they'll have enough spare parts or they'll have enough components locally, or they might be able to carry out whatever the you know the the the, the, the thing is locally. But if the circumstance persists, that's where readiness might be affected. At, you know, as it okay. stands again, and I, you know, it, because it's because because of lack of transparency, you don't have a, as good, you know, as good an idea of what in the two or three months or so since this this virus is, you know, has has come out, what has actually been impacted. But right. if you had if you had a circumstance, a sustained circumstance where components aren't being provided or replenishments aren't being provided, yeah, that would that would cause it, you know, concerns for readiness. But I don't, you know, at this stage, I don't think we're, you, we'd be seeing that. Okay. Um, and that, kind of along those, yeah. it does make sense. Um, it's, yeah, so, it's sustained disruptions to supply chains that would be particularly problematic, especially a lot of the countries in, in the Middle East and in Africa are dependent on imports. They right. don't have, you know, they, they some of them are, are interested in or working in, uh, developing their own defense industries, but they don't have it. So they're dependent on imports. And if there's an issue with their importing partner, be it political or be it logistical or economic or, or you know, or what have you, if there's problems in, in, in importing things, that's going to cause issues with their military readiness over time. They probably have, have things like spare parts stocked up, but that can only last so long. Uh, yeah, it can only last so long. And, and usually, um, especially with the, the fighter aircraft, um, I'm not sure about the the land systems, but I, I know that they're 
Um, Middle East is, is uh, I think, a little better than than most countries, but uh, the, the fighter aircraft are, are usually at a a, uh, a lighter percentage, I, I'd say, of readiness based on the lack of spare parts and, and mm-hmm. the personnel to uh, to keep those maintained. Well, I think I think that's been for many of the countries in the Middle East. That's been a big thing driving their defense industry programs for a while now. Now, a lot of these, yeah. a lot of these programs, they've been, you know, they've been batting these things around for a while and haven't, haven't made progress there. I think we're seeing a lot more solid progress now, especially if you look at say a country like the United Arab Emirates, which has taken a, you know, an approach where they, they understand that they're not going to be producing full platforms for every single requirement for the Emirati military, right? It's right. way too expensive to do that. And so where they've, but where they've made progress is either they're designing the, some platforms, right? So armored vehicles, for example, or they're designing components that can be integrated into these platforms. And so they've yes. had success, yeah. but a lot that of, and a the lot maintenance of other side. ones. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and carrying out maintenance work. But but a lot of other countries in the region don't have that or not as sophisticated, and you know, and even even the Emiratis are going to be reliant on foreign um, foreign uh, suppliers for doing things like big upgrade programs or for purchasing you know full platforms, and that's where they've that's that that's always been a big concern for them, just because uh, a lot of the countries in the Middle East for various reasons have come under fire from Western suppliers that don't particularly like this or that. And so they always worry about these countries always worry about what happens if our top arms supplier tomorrow decides, Hey, you know what? We don't want to sell anything to you anymore. If I'm the Emiratis or if I'm any other country in the region, what do I do in that circumstance? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. they're spending a lot of money on it for sure. Um, that, that whole, uh, edge, project right. uh the conglomerate they have there uh, i mean they, they're not just trying to uh to work on on emirati uh military forces they're they're trying to take over market share from european chinese russian american military right. yeah companies. yeah exactly i think they they spy they spy opportunity in a lot of uh in a lot of areas where they can be especially for for their own for, for for their own region or for the middle east and even even into africa where they can be uh a, a key supplier the, the united arab emirates has provided to, to to give an example so they license produce uh armored vehicles and they've um provided a lot of these to uh, countries in, in North Africa, such as such as Mali, and that I think is is kind of the direction they'd like to go. Uh, not to yeah, get too, sure. too 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 off tr- off track from obviously from 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 what we're talking about with the coronavirus. That's fine. But I, yeah, so I, I I think the risk to supply chains, just to circle back to that, is is in general what's been spurring these defense industrial projects. So this is just one more example of. Of, of where these countries are exposed to external factors that can that can harm their their military readiness, you know, seemingly at the you know potential drop of the hat. Again, I don't have as much um, information that this is really happening right now per se, but an extended 
problem, either because of the coronavirus or resulting from the coronavirus, could you know, could could feasibly impact readiness. Well, it sounds like like if anything, it, it um, any disruptions in the supply chain would push them farther on that path to producing uh, components and and having upgrades completed uh, with their own uh, host nation companies. <laughs> Yeah, where where feasible. Some of these, we were talking about you know, aircraft in particular, some of those because of how complex those are and how proprietary messing with them can be, um, yeah. they, they'll, you know, they're, they're going to be perennially vulnerable to whoever supplied it to them for, you know, for needing that for upgrades or, or, or what have you. But yeah, I think when you see a circumstance like this, or you see political pressure, this is especially the case for the Middle East. I'm, you know, I know I realize I've been mostly focusing on the Middle East with this, but that for for them, uh, that that has been the big uh, the big thing. I think so elsewhere. So looking at say Africa, for example, a lot of the countries in Africa aren't going to be able to have, you know, even a defense industry such as what the UAE has. Yeah. There's a lot of interest among African countries for that, uh, particularly because it's a component of an industrialization uh, development plan, right? That's, you know, that could yeah. be one, one, one component, but um, a lot of them are not in that, that position. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, okay. So moving on uh, the, so the U S military and this, this is all over the internet. Um, mm-hmm. The personnel are at a standstill. They can't travel anywhere. There's Star mm-hmm. Wars um, on my phone. I have my, my ringtone there. Um, yeah, it is. It is for the podcast. You know, it's, it's a little bit of entertainment value to it. Um, yep. But the uh, so the uh, the U.S. military is at a standstill. Personnel can't travel anywhere, and of, of course, that's going to cause a major disruption in operations. Uh, really, only mission essential tasks are being conducted. Is this the same thing uh, in your regions? So the U.S. military will tell you a little bit more about that. It's not always as clear from some of these other militaries where that's happening. But I know that. So, for example, the United States uh, has has canceled some military exercises in Africa. A lot of right. ones that were going to involve uh, North and, and and West African states. And those yeah. are, I mean, those those military exercises are obviously very important for deepening ties between all the participants and for. Uh, you know, training of all of the other countries so they can gain experience from the United States in particular, which has a wealth of knowledge in, say, fighting counterinsurgencies, which for a lot of these countries would be very, you know, is very important, or in, you know, other other um, um, areas that the United States can provide a lot of support for these countries. So when you're having exercises canceled, like that, obviously that's going to be uh, that's that's not good. That's uh, you know that hurts the um, development of that of that military. But I we don't have as clear of an idea of what their militaries specifically are doing to respond to this crisis. Some okay. countries, yeah. so, so so in the former Soviet Union, for example, so in Kazakhstan, um, Kazakhstan is as I understand is using its military to carry out quarantine in some of the, um, in some of its cities. So that's I would imagine one they have to, yeah. yeah, but they're leveraging sense. their, their, their militaries for that sort of, of role. And that's one way that the coronavirus has kind of, I would say changed their, 
um, their, their mission for that. But yeah, not as, not as clear of an idea of what, especially because a lot of these, these, these countries that I cover are, are not involved in external operations. Some are, so okay. some are big, some are, you know, big in, uh, involved in peacekeeping operations, which I haven't seen too, too, too many, uh, adjustments to. And they're not advertising uh, like like we do. They don't just throw yeah. it on the internet what their militaries uh, yeah, doing yeah, or not because, doing. Yeah, because for a lot of these a lot of these countries, is, uh, their militaries and anything related to them are national security. Like uh, it is for the United States, but it's seriously seriously classified under national security in, in a lot of these countries, and they are very jealously guarding that sort of information, so they don't divulge anywhere near the extent the United States does. Right. They don't want and, people knowing that their military is not doing anything right now because it's yeah. uh, going to lead to some problems. Right. That might yeah. not be the best thing <laughs> if you're, if you're advertising to either, either to peer rivals or to I- insurgents. If you look at a lot of the countries in, in the Middle East and in, in Africa, many of them are either fighting an insurgency or, at risk of, of fighting one. In the Middle East, you have Syria, obviously, is embroiled in an insurgency. Iraq is embroiled in one. Yemen is embroiled in one. Uh, in Libya, as you move into North Africa, in Libya, you have a you know, full-blown civil war ongoing. And many of its neighbors are worried about violence either spilling out from that or uh, insurgents using a lot of this vast open space in the, you know, the border regions between their country and Libya for, you know, you name whatever operation, either they're carrying out terrorist attacks or they're planning them or they're engaged in illicit activity. So they don't want to necessarily be telegraphing to anybody that, Hey, you know, we're sticking everybody in the barracks if that's what they're doing. Yeah. And that, that, that does bring up a, a point um, that, you know, the, the coronavirus can, can really, erode uh, a public's confidence in yes. their leaders it can let people know the insurgents that okay well you know what this might be a good time to do what we've always wanted to do the the there's an erosion in confidence for the leaders uh the military is weak a lot of a lot of the military people are sick some of the uh politicians are sick you know this is a good time to to create a problem in the country this is a good time to create chaos um, and, and maybe change the the political leadership. Um, whether yeah, whether yeah, there's a there's a there's a serious risk that especially if the uh, what you know name the government if their ability to deliver services to their people if it slips or if they're seen as doing you know an especially poor job in handling the virus response or whatever the economic effects of the virus are. Right. Then yeah, there's a there's a there's a real concern that that could be exploited either by, I mean, if it's a country that's facing an insurgency, that it could be exploited by militants and their recruiting, or just even just you know fuel whatever grievances that are already fueling these insurgencies that make them worse, that confirm people's uh, you know people's concerns or their criticisms about their their own governments, and so that. To you know, to to go back to where where defense spending is looking, that's one reason why a lot of governments have been, even if they're not willing to outright cut their defense budget because of the signal that sends um, to whatever their their rivals or their enemies are, they're more willing to either rein in rein in increases or even keep the defense budget constant 
Uh, yeah. Algeria, for example, for the last four or five years has kept their defense budget largely constant. They kept it flat for three years. They increased it a little bit and then kept and have kept it flat again, moving into um, moving into 2020. I haven't seen if there's a I don't believe they've they've issued any revised budget yet. But the where where a lot of countries are, are looking at this is, is they're saying it doesn't you know it doesn't look good if we're doing these big defense spending increases or if we're keeping defense spending increasing meanwhile social spending is is taking a hit or a lack of social spending becomes more obvious and more uh, frustrating for for their people right yeah um so yeah, basically, unstable regions could become more unstable, and here comes the savior, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and normally the savior is the United States, uh, right. maybe Europe, uh, but we're we're busy taking care of our own problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and and here's here's what I think. You know, China's going to be making its its push. It's already in Africa. Uh, it's already in South America. It's in places where there's a lot of natural resources. Uh, places that are also going to be more unstable and needing assistance from wealthier nations, um, I think China will most likely try to make a, a, a major push into these areas and take over a lot of the humanitarian and economic assistance that the United States and Europe provides. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is this something that they're currently trying to do or something that, that you think they, they might make a push for um, in the coming year? There's there's an indication that they're working on that, say, say with Africa writ largely, um, for example, they're they, they're, they're making um, signs to start deploying uh, doctors that have been that are experienced in dealing with this issue, deploying them to friendly countries in Africa or sending right. humanitarian assistance or money that was going to be sent for this or that reprogramming it for humanitarian assistance. I know also pri- uh, pri- you know, private uh, Chinese uh, like wealthy um, uh, businessmen have also been either donating or sending masks or, or, or what right. have you. So, uh, yeah, I mean, where, where this, where, you know, where this part of it factors into the defense market is a bit more hazy. China has right. also been making inroads in, in Africa gradually selling uh, either warships such as uh, um, to, to Algeria as, as an example um, or also selling UAVs armed UAVs has really been a big a big Chinese export recently and then also armored vehicles among a few other areas so whether that translates to you know whether an increasing, Chinese humanitarian, uh, you know, approach to this, whether that, you know, has any tangible effect on the defense market. I mean, it's, it's just one more, uh, one more factor in developing Beijing's ties with, uh, I, I keep pointing, I point to Africa specifically because I think that's where, um, where China's, where China's assistance has a, can have an outsized effect. It is. And, and I know in the past, um, I know there's been criticisms of China's humanitarian and economic efforts in Africa. And the criticism is that they don't do necessarily what maybe France or the United States will do, which is go there and try to, you know, teach the, the African nations and, and the, the regions how to do things themselves and, and how to sustain themselves 
in, in whatever line of effort that is, whether it's, it's medical or whether it's uh, economic or, or whatnot. Um, and China would just go in there. They'd, they'd you know, take out the resources they need from the area. Um, they'd make their money, you know, maybe build the people a railroad or, or a hospital or something like that and, and bounce. And, uh, and these people would have no clue how to, how to run the railroad, how to keep it going. Uh, they, well, they wouldn't have the people they need to, to run the hospitals or whatever. And, uh, and so they, they would just, you know, burn through this village and then disappear. Well, I think I, I, China definitely has a different model when it comes to either providing this, this type of assistance or providing uh, loan financing is that they don't have political strings attached to whatever their, you know, whatever it is their, their deals are. So whereas right. Western donors or, you know, in, and in the defense market, Western suppliers will have political conditions to anything they provide to these countries, mainly because at either in their domestic constituencies, there's oftentimes a lot of pressure on uh, their host governments to rein in, you know, sending either sending money, sending guns, sending whatever to a country if it's right. they engaged in severe human rights abuses or it mismanages or it's, you know, utterly corrupt or, or, or what have you um, that, you know, that rubs people the wrong way when they're um, providing this. But with with China, it's it has a lot less of that. So they don't attach uh, overt humanitarian or political considerations, at least as far as that country's domestic politics are concerned. Obviously, they you know would look favorably on those countries voting along with China, say in the United Nations, or supporting Chinese initiatives or what have you. And, and certainly, China would not be happy if one of these countries came out and you know was a big recipient of Chinese aid or, or what have you, and then came out and criticized China. But as far as that country's domestic politics. China usually takes a hands-off approach. And so hmm. that's, for, for many of these governments, that's obviously very appealing. If they're right. engaged in, you know, crack down a dissent or what have you, because then they can access, uh, as I think this is the president of, of Tanzania called it, condition-free money. And they don't have to worry about, yeah, that much more pressure on them from, from abroad. It makes sense to me. Um Derek, this has been good. Uh, thanks for coming on to Forecast Roundtable. Uh, everyone, if you want to get some more details on maybe Derek's area in the Middle East or, or Africa or um, any of the other uh, analysts' uh, regions in the international military market, or you have a question regarding the uh, how the coronavirus is affecting your particular market in the uh, defense, aerospace, or power systems industries, give us a call. Uh, send us an email. We'd love to talk to you. Uh, if you want to come on the podcast and, and talk to us, uh, it's a great marketing opportunity for your company. And uh, we, we'd love to talk to you. We'll catch you next time.